Welcome. This is the Rethinking Church podcast, and my name is Tim Fox. We want to welcome you today. We're excited to continue our conversation about the book Rethinking Church, Leading Your Struggling Church Through Death to New Life. And in this podcast season, we are just kind of walking through the chapters of the book. And, and this week, we're talking about the chapter on rethinking our big dreams. You know, in our country today, in our in our world today, we assume that bigger is better. We assume that more is better. If a small chocolate chip cookie is good, then a big chocolate chip cookie is is better. If a small bank account is good, then a big bank account is better. And we assume that everything gets better as it gets bigger. It gets easier. It gets more remarkable. It gets more impressive. It builds our reputation, and, and it is successful when it gets bigger. And, and unfortunately, this perception makes its way into the church as well. We assume that things have to be big to be good, that that excellence is only found in, in the big churches, that innovation is only found in the big churches. We assume as pastors that we are not good at responding to our call unless we lead a big church. And so we come at ministry with, with big dreams. And I think they start out as as holy dreams. I think they start out as as aspirations to make a kingdom impact. But it it doesn't take long for our own insecurities and, and, and personal motivations to get kind of mixed up in there. And and we begin to feel the need, the burden to build something big and so that so that we can be respected or that we need to build something big so that it will make a difference or that it will be significant or that it will be matter or that it will matter or that we'll re- be remembered and we we have these big dreams i often uh dreamed of of building and leading a large church i came to to um to Goldsboro Westland with the aspirations of of revitalizing the church and it was the the instructions that we received uh, from the board as we began and and it what didn't take long before we realized that, that that wasn't going to really work in a more traditional mindset and that we needed to to rethink what we were doing and and in that effort we led the church to close and and restart and and man I thought this was going to be it this is how we're going to get big. We're going to we're going to shut down and we're going to relaunch and we're going to have a big launch day and we're going to get hundreds of people here and then we're going to kind of settle in around 100 150 and and we'll be able to build from there and something remarkable and big is going to happen here. But a year later there was not really anything all that big about Hydrant Church. There wasn't anything all that remarkable. We were a small church in a small town doing the work that God had given us to do, but that we wondered if it was really, really having much of an impact. And so we we worked and we kept working and we kept trying and we kept struggling. And a year later, my big dreams had become a nightmare. And and I wondered if we were ever going to, to get off the ground. I wondered if we were ever going to make this thing 
happened, the way I had hoped, the way I had dreamed, the way, that what I had felt God calling us to, that it, that it might never actually happen. And then I went through a, a difficult season. I, I wondered about giving up. I wondered about trying to, to find some other kind of work. And, and then something began to, to turn in me. And, and the story is on, on page 155 there, and there's actually several kind of bullet points of, of what happened in this, this season as I, as I sat with a mentor who reminded me that, that no one will ever know how many people attended Hydrant on year one or year two or year three, but everyone who's there will remember how I made them feel, how we made them feel. Did they feel loved? Did they feel accepted? Did they feel the joy of the gospel? Did they feel hope? What did they feel because they were a part of who we are? And I couldn't control the size, but I could do something about how we made people feel. And then I stumbled on this seemingly obscure book, Anonymous, Jesus' Hidden Years and Yours, and learn to think about obscurity and hidden years differently and, and, and really embrace this perspective on obscurity that gave me new hope for my present and my future. In that time, God, God called my attention away from the empty seats in the sanctuary. I mean, I would, I would get up and, and just be beaten up about how many empty seats were in the room. And, and God kind of said to me one day, Listen, you you need to stop worrying about those seats. Look, you're not that good. If you were, you'd be famous. So just be thankful anybody showed up today and love and serve and teach the people that I send you and and let me worry about the empty seats. And it was kind of this very freeing moment to realize that he had given me responsibility for the the people that were in the seats that were full but not for the empty seats, that his job was to build the church and my job was to, to make disciples. Then there was this moment, I was at a, an event and, and came across a 12 Stone Church pastor, Kevin Myers, and we had a conversation. He heard my lament about what I was struggling with and what I felt like uh, God wanted, but that we just couldn't seem to get anywhere in those first few years. And and he prayed with me, and he and he prayed that, that God would reveal three ideas to help us to break through 100. Just the next step. What is he asking us to do right now? Small things, small steps, small incremental changes. What was he asking of us? And then I stood in an event, that same event, as John Maxwell prayed over leaders to, to receive a gift of the Holy Spirit. A gift is something given to us that we can't require, we can't demand, but we can we can invite, and, and we are told to seek different gifts of the Spirit in Scripture, and, and he prayed for us to receive the gift of leadership. Then I then I sat on my balcony on vacation about six months after this whole process began, and I read Carl Vader's book, The Grasshopper Myth, and and it really was just what my soul needed. Help me see how my calling and my passion and fire could could be affirmed, and I could find permission to love and serve well in a small church. And then lastly, I wrestled with God over a question. It's a lot like the the wrestling of 
of Israel as he wrestled overnight and was given that new name, Israel wrestles with God. And I wrestled with God over this question. He asked me, he said, now if I ask you to pastor a church of 60 for the rest of your ministry, would you do it? It's a tough one for me. I'd always had aspirations of doing something big. And and yet that's not what he had for me, at least not in that season. And he was wondering if I was willing to sacrifice my dreams for his. He was asking me to sacrifice my aspirations for his, my plans for his. It took me about three months to finally say, yes, God, whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want, for as long as you want. And he had led me to rediscover these beautiful things that had gotten lost. And I think maybe they got lost in this idea that everything healthy grows. Everything healthy grows. And it, it seems like it's a pretty innocent statement, and it is really affirming when you're a pastor leading a church that's growing, and you feel like, oh, you're, you're doing something healthy, you're doing something right, because growth is happening. But when you're in a church that's small, it, it can feel defeating, and you can feel like a failure. And I had to realize that this very innocent statement that is meant to inspire pastors and leaders and churches to focus on health before growth had had just beaten me down to feeling like a failure because I wasn't leading something big and growing at a at an exponential rate and and I had to learn that yeah everything healthy grows but not everything is big not everything is the same size a healthy chihuahua is never going to be as big as a healthy great dane a healthy cherry tomato is never going to be as 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 large as a healthy uh, beefcake tomato that's just not how it works and that god has designed things differently. We are strategically designed. I think the small church is strategically designed and there are remarkable advantages and benefits in, in the way that we worship and the way that we make disciples and kids ministry and youth ministry and, and in community involvement that are remarkable. When we when we think about the small church, I really think that it's strategically designed. I mean, we we have this understanding that's pretty clear; it's been written about a lot in the two hundred barrier that that there are most churches never pass two hundred people in regular weekend attendance. That that they stay under two hundred. Eighty to ninety percent of churches will never be bigger than 200 in regular attendance. And and for most of us, we look at that and we see that as this failure or this plateau or decline or something terrible going on in the church or that we failed God somehow. And and I began to rethink that barrier and begin to wonder, maybe, maybe that's by God's design. Maybe He doesn't intend for every church to get big. Maybe He doesn't intend for most churches to be big, that that there's something in our sociology, in our biology, in our in our our identity as human beings that that God has put there, that this barrier exists by his design and not our failure. I mean, if we look at, at Simon Sinek and as he takes the the Dunbar principle and he looks at um, and looks at companies like Gore-Tex, he, he describes the most effective working groups as groups of people over 150 or less. And so there's something really remarkable that can be done by a small 
group of people working together on a common mission with a common purpose, with a desire to reach the lost. Now, there, there, there's a question you'll have to wrestle with as your church grows. Do we plant or do we pass 200? What is God asking us to do as we start to get close to that barrier, but so that we continue to, to produce fruit that produces a harvest and continues to reach people? We can't just get stuck and settle in and stay stagnant at, at under 200 because that, that barrier is there. We have to make strategic choices to continue to move forward and, and answer the call to make disciples to, to be a part of replicating healthy churches. So there's this, a part of this, this reality and this tension that we've got to figure out what God is asking us to do in our churches. There, there, there's something that we have to see and, and accept as small church pastors, and that, that is that there are advantages to our size. There are advantages to our size. Now, when we look at First First Samuel, uh, chapter seventeen, there's the story that we're all very familiar with of David and Goliath, as David selects five stones from the river, grabs his sling, swings that thing around, and lets one of those stones fly with the precision of a of a sniper, and and takes out Goliath. And we we often tell this story as the underdog against the hero, the the small guy against the big guy. But what most of us today reading this passage don't realize is that everyone on that field that day knew as soon as David picked up that stone and put it in a sling, that he was going to win that battle. He essentially brought a gun to a sword fight, and it was never in question, never in in question. He changed the rules, changed the game, and won. And for us, we need to stop trying to play by the rules and the measures and the metrics of the large church. Stop trying to play the these games that we aren't designed to play and to look and see how God has made us, to look at what advantages we have. What is our sling? What are our stones? What can we do to reach people and make a difference in the kingdom that a large church could never do? There has to be something because every large church I know is trying to find ways to create small environments for people to engage in. And so there's something remarkable about a small church. You have to find that, find that advantage, lean into it, and use how God has made you in your place, in your time, to make an impact for the community. It's not about big dreams and big ideas and big accomplishments and big buildings and and lots of people, but it's about continuing to do the small things, continuing to be faithful, continuing to be obedient, continuing to use every resource that God has given you to do everything that he's asking you to do. It's time for us to rethink those big dreams and embrace the dreams that God has for us. Now, I've loved talking with you a little bit about this idea. If it's intriguing to you, there's more packed into that chapter in Rethinking Church. You can go to my website, timfox.online. You can go to the WPH store or to Amazon and pick up your copy of the book. Love uh, love for you to do that and read and share it with someone. Maybe get a couple of pastors together and read it together. It's a great way to kind of begin to rethink 
Church. We'll look forward to being with you again soon. Watch for a couple of webinars coming up. We have uh, a webinar in late March that we'll be sharing a little bit about resilience and the need to die to experience new life. And then we'll have one in April called Rethinking Your Why. So I'd love for you to check those out. Keep an eye out for those. More information to come. Hope that you have a great day.